to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It means something. You know, that's my take on it. What's yours? Protonic reversal! That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact. We're all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, uh, the only... Protonic Reversal. Thanks so much for tuning in. Great guest for you guys today. It's going to be Mr. Greg Norton of Husker Du. How freaking cool is that? I'm very excited. I- I'm going to try to do this this pre-roll thing that all the other shows do. Don't worry, you're still not going to hear ads or sponsor messages, anything like that. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. But Protonic Reversal, if it's your first time, this is a show about music and musicians and why we do what we do. You can find it in all the various ways that you find your podcast. There's also a YouTube version of the show that's on that as well. If you like and subscribe, it helps people find it. So that's always nice. We have a new Instagram account that's just for the show, which is protonic.reversal. So if you do Instagram, um, if you do Instagram, what kind of... <laughs> Not a cop. <laughs> uh, please hit that up. And, uh, yeah, just continue, you know, if you like the show, share it around, all that good stuff. You don't know if you like the show if it's your first time, but um, this show's been going for a long time. Archivesprotonkreversal.com. And uh, this is key, and I don't mention this nearly enough. If you like the show and you want to support it, $1 a month at Patreon, patreon.com slash helps the show out, and you get episodes sooner. So you get episodes of this show, this very show, uh, but you get them sooner. That's the reward. And, uh, you know, we don't ever paywall anything, anything along those lines. Um, but it helps keep the lights on. Not to put too fine a point on it. And it's always appreciated. Okay. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have a, a Husker Du on this show. And that's uh, that's pretty fantastic. I'm very excited about that. Of course, uh, Greg's also played in uh, Porcupine recently the excellent band porcupine and we're gonna talk about all that and a whole lot more uh with mr greg norton but first let's uh let's start with a song
don't know if you're lonely. Bye, Husker Du. That's uh, Mr. Grant Hart on the vocals. And joining us now, we have the man, myth, legend himself, Mr. Greg Norton. Greg, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. I, I was thinking about it this week, knowing that you were going to be on. And I would say that, for me, Husker is like the uh, in the great pantheon of like the power trio bands. Like, like you guys brought so much... Uh, energy and personality as well as the, you know fantastic songs to what you're doing but it's it's something that um it's weird that when you think of like the traditional non-punk rock path of like you know rock and roll bands like oh you have the lead guitar player and you got the lead singer this and that uh there was something so cool and utilitarian uh, about uh, the, the way you guys did it did you guys have that in mind when you when you first started or was it more of a functional <laughs> functional thing uh yeah, I mean, we really didn't plan anything out, seriously, you know, we uh, we were just three kids that got together and started playing music, uh, you know, I mean, uh, our very first few gigs, we, we did, uh, basically, we were a covers band with one other guy, and then, uh, but Bob Grant and I really liked playing together, so we started writing our own material, and uh, that's basically how Husker, like, became, so... Um, it was the first band I I was in, uh, same with Bob. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it was, um, you know, we, we didn't really have any, any grand scheme or a, any plan, but, you know, obviously, uh, there are a lot of power trios that we've always, always loved. And, and actually, you know, you look at a lot of the, a lot of the bands, uh, and, uh, they're power trios. They just have a lead singer. You know, so right. like, look at the Who. They're a power trio. Roger Daltrey just happens to be up in front. You know, uh, Zeppelin was a power trio with that's true. <laughs> Robert Plant. You know, uh, so really, uh, guitar, bass, and drums. That's what more do you need, right? Yeah, and and you know, a good song always helps too. And you guys, the the, the songs, <laughs> the songs held hold up, which I think is something that uh, you know one of the reasons why the band endures and lives on in, in the hearts of people. Not just that we're there, but in like in younger generations as well. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think that uh, you know, we were talking earlier. One of the reasons why I wanted to uh, kind of go into the New Day Rising was because just one of my favorite rock and roll freak factor nine moments is Robert Palmer covering that. Yeah, I know. Isn't that bizarre? I, somebody sent it to me like years ago, and I was like, "Aha, that's funny." And I was, and they're like, "No, no, it's for real." I'm like, "What, really?" <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of those things. I I discovered it kind of the same way it's like somebody like i can't remember if somebody mentioned it to me or uh you know but it wasn't until you know the the early 2000s when i like had a computer and get on the internet and, and all of a sudden it's like holy crap this does exist what the <laughs> hell you know did you ever know how that came to pass like how did he come to like know you guys like how like what the i uh, you know i i never really uh heard and, and obviously he's not around to tell us <laughs> the story, but, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how he got introduced to, uh, to the song, but, um, I think his version is kind of wild. So it, it's, it's a weirder version than I would have expected. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I would know, don't know what I would have expected, but it, it wasn't that. And I'm kind of glad that I heard it the way I did, which is just <laughs> almost randomly. Right. Right. <clears throat> But it also kind of speaks a little bit to kind of the weird cultural cachet that uh, Husker had. I mean, you guys grounded out and, and forged your own path, but 
you know, made these ripples and effects uh, down the line that, you know, you heard all the way through, you know, later generations of music, like, you know, bands like, you know, Pixies, Nirvana, you know, certainly early Foo Fighters, things along those lines. And for me, again, from a historical perspective, not being there, it's sort of like, well, it's taking the energy of hardcore, but like putting like melody to it and like making it, you know, but still keeping the forcefulness to it. And it's, it seems easy, but but like at the time it kind of seemed like everyone was going like as far away from melody as possible. Right. Like everyone was like harder and faster, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I mean, was there, was that just what you guys were writing or did you have like a thought to like, Hey, why don't we try this? You know, as, as, um, as the band evolved, uh, and, and so did, uh, Bob and Grant evolve as songwriters. Um, you know, we really, you know, we started off definitely as like, Hey, punk rock, we love punk rock. Let's be a punk band. You know, it's like, we love the Ramones. We can yeah. play fast and hard and three chords and all that. And, and, um, but, uh, but deep down, I think we were all like, uh, big, you know, um, power pop fans. So, you know, in, in a sense, like really like Husker started off, I think doing like power pop through a punk lens, which sounds funny because obviously nobody was doing that then. And it wasn't popular until like after the band broke up and then, you know, you've got <laughs> bands that, that that's their butt. You know, I mean, there's a whole new, you know, there's a, it's, it's its own genre now, right? Power, Absolutely, power yeah. punk power pop punk um you know we we had a lot of influences but of um uh some classic uh classical rock uh and uh uh, a lot of english punk bands a lot of stuff coming out of manchester uh you know we really didn't dive head first and full on into the hardcore thing until we we actually got out and started touring and and um uh, you know, started playing with uh, DOA and, and Black Flag and the Dead Kennedys and bands like that. So, uh, and it just kind of kept evolving, you know, as, as Bob and Grant became um, better songwriters and, um, you know, that, that pop nugget was always there. Right. Uh, you know, and it, it went through the uh, the hardcore filter, but it still came out um, as pop, you know, so like the hardcore tunes, you could whistle. <laughs> totally. Well, and I feel like there, uh, there were, there were embers of that from the beginning, but it's it sort of like it, it, it grew as the band grew. And as you mentioned, as, as this, as the songwriting grew and changed, it, it, it grew as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm just thinking back to, uh, you know, I heard a story that land speed record, isn't that like, didn't you like record it for like a couple hundred bucks or something along those lines? Like it was, it was very just like, you know, economy of, of scale. Uh, yeah, pretty much. You know, it's, uh, we had been out, uh, on, uh, our first national tour the summer of 1981. And we were, uh, just kind of in San Francisco and we kept trying to, you know, um, trying to line something up down in LA, nothing was panning out. So we decided just to, to head home in August. And, uh, so we booked the date in the entry and, and, uh, we're like, you know, we should, we should record this when we get home. So we just lined up, um, a four track reel to reel. And I think the whole thing cost us, you know, like 200, $250 to, to record. 
not not a whole lot, you know. And then yeah. uh, to mix it down, and uh, you know, we'd sent that off to um, to SST to see if they were interested in putting it out, and um, Carducci didn't feel that that was the uh, the the most or the best inter- introduction to uh, Husker Du, uh, but Mike Watt. Uh, who we had been talking to uh, that summer trying to get gigs down in LA. He's like, I'll put that record out. I don't even have to hear it. I'm just going to put it out. <laughs> so uh, uh, new Alliance put the record out. Right. And um, so, yeah, definitely the whole thing was um, pretty econo in, in the truest sense of, of the, of the word, you know, and it, it kind of summed up the, uh, the ethic of a lot of, um, uh, you know, bands like us and the Minutemen and, and uh, um, you know, the, the Meat Puppets and, you know, you, you, uh, there was an economy to, to getting things done and because uh, the most important thing was, you know, getting out and playing the music. That makes sense. Uh, well, absolutely, and it also occurs to me that, especially you know, with the the bands you mentioned, with Minutemen, Meat Puppets, etc., they all had their own take on on what they were doing, and they were very true to their hearts and true to their path. But it wasn't like it was a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of bands that sounded like oh, it's it sounds like this band exactly. Like everyone had their own right. take on it. Yeah. And, and that, right there, that the, those three bands, that's the power trio. Power trio. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Not to put you fine a point on it. In fact, I actually, uh, yeah, your name your name came up briefly. I just talked to Mike Watt. Uh, not actually not for this show. He's been on the show, but I just ta- I was on his show recently, and your your, your name came up. Watt from Pedro. Yeah, and he he, he said to say hello. So his here's Watt's hello. <laughs> awesome. Uh, now, now I'm trying to remember. So and and, and sticking with the that that first record, wasn't there something like didn't the tapes get stolen or something? And I remember heard some story like when the box set came out about this. Um, no, the tapes didn't necessarily get stolen. There was a second set and that reel like disappeared. Um, and I'm not sure if it ever actually resurfaced or if we just, you know, used a cassette copy of the second set, but, uh, but there is material on, uh, Savage Young Do that's from that same night. Um, you know, we, we came out and we, we kind of blasted the hometown crowd with, with um, here's what, three months on the road. Uh, yeah, tour tight, yeah. <laughs> tour tight, and, uh, and you thought we were fast before. Well, <laughs> you know, hang on, hang on to your face. Right, right, so, exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and actually, I think when we got back, it, it shocked a lot of our hometown fans. They were like, what the hell happened to you guys, you know, so... Um, but it was, you know, a step in the evolution. So it was something that, that, um, that we did and, and, um, did it well and, and progressed through that onto other things. Yeah. It's almost like, like you left as Neanderthals and came back as Cro-Magnons or something along those lines, <laughs> right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least to the, to the outside observer, you know, I do want to speak a little bit about that, uh, about that box X. I think it's so meticulously put together and put together in such a way that that is you know kind of very rewarding for the fans it, it seems it seems like a lot of work went into figuring out what went on it and presenting it in a really interesting cool i'm thinking of like the flyers and like like the the, the writing the like it's just it's just 
it seems like that was a labor of love, I guess is what I'm driving at. Was that difficult to put together? Uh, well, it definitely was a, a labor of love and, and uh, um, you know, Numero, uh, I think was the right label to, to take on that project because yeah. of the, I mean, they put a lot of, a lot of care and, and, um, uh, and effort into, into that. Uh, I think it turned out great. It really I'm did. Yeah. Really surprised at how good those recordings sound. Um, you know, they were just recorded on cassette tapes off, uh, you know, off, you know, a cassette deck at the, at the soundboard. Uh, we're actually uh, working on a, on a new project right now, which is uh, some early, uh, like our first appearance at the at Jay's Longhorn Bar in Minneapolis, which was kind of like the punk oh, CBGBs of, of um, Minneapolis. Uh, in the uh, the late seventies, and and um, they basically were around up through like maybe eighty one or so. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was the you know the first real club that that we played. So we're we're putting together a record that'll have that set, uh, and then a, a a couple other nights uh, documented, and uh, just listening through to the stuff. It's it's amazing how, um, like like you say, how well the the stuff holds up but yeah. i'm just like blown away by like wow it sounds really good and, and, <laughs> right. and we're talking about it, it's like well it could be because you know it was a good sound system at the longhorn it was a good room to record in and there were only like maybe 25 or 30 people there <laughs> right, so right. um you know it, it, that's been a lot of fun listening to that but this is something that uh it's going to be called uh husker do longhorn tonight which um, is uh, taken from from a flyer that that we put out because um, we played the Longhorn a lot, so we just like made up a flyer that says, "Hey, we're playing there tonight." And then when whenever we'd get a gig, we just go and hand the flyers out to people, um, and that'll be coming out later, hopefully by the end of the year, and uh, on MBD, and it should be a, a, a double album. So that's that's a fun project. Yeah, that's awesome. That's I need a uh, after all these years, I still don't have a like a breaking news clip, <laughs> something like well, there you go, like breaking, a sound or something. News. But that's breaking so. news for uh, for people who listen to this show. That's for sure. That sounds fantastic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, and that that's so that leads me to something where, I mean, I, I found when talking to folks uh, and with myself also that sometimes it can be difficult when you're in it to kind of hear it at hear things as music. Uh, but a little bit of distance kind of gives you, you know, some perspective from it, and you can kind of hear it in, in different ways. Have Have you like awesome old stuff from way back when? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I've I've, I've always enjoyed listening to to these shows from um, the early early days of of the Husker stuff, but you know, it's listening to it now, listening to how it sounds and, and going like, wow, you know what, this we, you know, this could have been something that was, you know, a, a band that played at CBGB's or, yeah. uh, you know, or, or, um, or the marquee in London or, or whatever, you know, it's sure, any uh, of the classic, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, and <laughs> listening to it kind of with a historical, 
uh, take and, and thinking back to the punk records that, that were coming out then, you know, we did a really good job of, of uh, <laughs> you know, come, uh, you know, the, the very first Longhorn gig, we, the band's not even um, just uh, maybe just over a year old at that point. Uh, maybe a little bit less. Oh, no, actually, no, the very first gig, we would have been just a, a few months removed from our first shows. So, Dang. Uh, and then, and then the next, uh, and then basically then we fast forward to the following summer, 1980. And that's where the next, you know, uh, the next two shows come from. Uh, and the, the step that the band took, you know, listening to the, the, uh, the, the 79 set sounds really good. But then you listen to the 80s set and you're, you're like, holy cow, this is the same band. They sound like so much more together and polished. And, um, you know, but that that's all we did back then was we played as every night we played whenever we could. We would take any gig we could get, you know, uh, if we weren't gigging, we were practicing. And, um, you know, one of the, the things that you definitely hear is, is you, you hear that, that. Yeah that enthusiasm of like, Hey, we're just, we're just really having a blast up here. Um, you know, we're, we're doing our thing. You know, you can do your thing. We're going to do our thing. Everybody gets a thing. It's a punk rock. Let's, <laughs> right, let's yeah. all do our thing. And, um, it's, you know, it, it, there, there were no rules. So, um, you know, in a way it's like, okay, has music really advanced? We taken a step backwards <laughs> yeah. with, uh, now with the, uh, um, the way people record music and it's like, well, you know, you don't have to play the whole thing. You just play the, the right notes for the right amount of time, you know, just once. And then we'll just loop that. And, uh, you know, we can auto tune this and we can like, you know, here's, here's a drum machine we can use. And it's like, um, yeah, I think I don't know. I, I think back to I think I think it was a I think Steve Albini said about you know the whole deal of like go you're going to church and standing up when everyone else stands up and sitting down when everyone else <laughs> sits down. You don't have to like know all the hymns like you can just make the motions. And I that's something that it seems like there's a lot of artists nowadays that are sort of I don't know not going through the motions, but it, it, it doesn't hit with the vibrance of like a powder keg about to explode. You know what I mean? Like, and that's kind of right. Yeah. And I do see it to be clear. I'm not trying to like, you know, Oh, these kids, they can't, you know, I'm not doing that at all to be clear. I'm just saying like on the, on the wider level, I think it's, um, I think it's one of the reasons why the, the, the recordings, uh, endure. And one of the reasons why it's going to be really interesting to check out that, uh, that live stuff as well yeah. you know I well, think... you know and, and and for sure there there are people that are still taking chances and and you know doing things um the way they feel the best way to do it uh but there there is also a lot of music that is just kind of churned out and it's um you know and and it it's like the you know the um Pro Tools has made it so everybody can have their own studio. Everybody can make it, make things perfect, um, which is fine. There's a lot of fine music out there, but uh, is it going to 
hold up to the test of time or is it going to be something like in right. 20 years we'll listen to it and it's like oh yeah that's that's from um <laughs> that's that yeah remember when we were doing yeah, that, that that year that's when everybody was doing that <laughs> yeah. you know, that was auto-tune was in that year or you know this was in that yeah. year yeah exactly yeah, yeah. uh th- this this is gonna seem really left field but w- when did you land on what i can only call your signature facial hair <laughs> Uh, well, you know, actually, so that, that, that goes back to a, a, a road story being on the road touring. Uh, we left to do a, a tour in December of 82, um, or maybe it was December of 81. Anyway, uh, we took off, drove down to play Texas. We played in Texas. This was, uh, uh late December uh, made our way out to Los Angeles, hung out uh, in LA for for a while. I can't. Well, we might have been recording at, at Total Access, and then um, from there went up and, and uh, played San Francisco and uh, Portland, Seattle, and back down to to LA. But I forgot my shave kit. <laughs> so I didn't have a razor, right. and so. It, you know, my facial hair just kept getting longer. I that didn't necessarily intend on growing a mustache or a beard, but it just happened. So I'm like, okay, well, yeah, we'll just go for go with it, whatever. Uh, and uh, when we were out in L.A., I was talking to Des Cadena from Black Flag, and I'm like, wow, you know, it's, it's my mustache is kind of getting annoying because it's gotten so long now that the ends of it keep getting like in the corners of my mouth. He's right. like, oh, well, why don't you just push it up and twist them up like a handlebar mustache? I'm like, <laughs> brilliant. Okay, so I started doing that, and it happened. Uh, you know, I've got the type of hair that where the mustache was like, yeah, okay, I, I can hang with this. I, I like this. Yeah. And uh, so I just kept it up. And then um, uh, when we got back home and I finally had a razor, I decided to keep the mustache. <laughs> it's because in my in my world there's you and there's Raleigh fingers and and that's about it. I guess I guess uh-huh. maybe Dan Moore from the Bismarck, but it, it's a it's a rare uh, it's first of all it's a rare person that can pull it off. Let's put it that way. But uh, it's a bold look and it, it's it's uh it, it was again when when you're a younger person uh, like you tend to focus maybe on more facile things you know before you engage with something. But I was like oh wow that guy's got a wild mustache. It was like literally the first thing I heard of when I saw a picture of you guys. Before uh-huh. I'd ever heard a note of the music, I'm like, <laughs> "All right, I'll check this out. This looks awesome." <laughs> uh, and I mean, it, does it does it require any maintenance to use mustache wax or anything? I mean, uh, I know this is probably not what you expected to talk about, but I think it's. Uh, you know, I've never been like a full-on mustache wax kind of guy because I I did try it once and I just thought it felt too like stiff. Right. Um. So you know, I'm just kind of. Uh, use the same schmutz that I, I you know, put in, uh, put in my hair. So, there you, go. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> not, good. not super high maintenance, but, uh, definitely, you know, there are mornings where you wake up and you're like, Oh damn, I'm having a bad mustache day. <laughs> so. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, you, you know, we're talking about, classic uh punk rock clubs like uh, historical relevance and whatnot I, I seem to recall that there was a 
there, there was a uh, time the uh, Huskers played with, uh, I think, the replacements at CB's. And there, there was something with, like, the opening band. I don't want to blow this if it's – if I get the details wrong. Well, it, was, uh, it wasn't CB's. It was actually Great Gilderslaves. Okay. Which is also in the Bowery, so. Gotcha. Uh, would you would you mind uh, telling a little bit? I thought if I remember correctly, this is a pretty good story. Would you mind kind of uh, telling us how that went down and in, in, in the great uh, the great history of, of punk rock? Uh, sure. So it's our first gig in New York, uh, playing at Great Gildersleeves. Uh, we get it set up so that the replacements are on the bill playing with us, and um, there's a band an opening band called the young and the useless and uh from what i understand uh i'm not sure exactly who it was uh but basically uh you know that like half of that band ended up being the beastie boys but this is before they you know did the got into um you know the uh hip-hop and 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 beats and stuff like that so they were just kind of just your average generic you know hey we're a dumb punk band type of thing and um you know we played and and you know it was an okay show it was okay you know attendance it wasn't packed or anything like that and at the end of the night uh the replacements didn't get paid anything and then i'm like well Cold. Uh, so you're not going to pay those guys? I was like, nah, we didn't really want them on the bill type of thing. Uh, but you guys did. So we put them on and then it's like, well, what about the opening band? Did they get paid? It's like, yeah, they got a buck. I'm like, you paid them a dollar. And he's like, no, it's a hundred dollars. Stupid. I'm like, oh, it's like, all right. My, my first experience talking New York. Right. He said they got the lingo. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so that that was that was that. Um, you know, I guess I could say the Beastie Boys opened for us, but they <laughs> didn't really. But, um, but you know, it, it, it was that was you know an interesting insight into um, clubs. You know, it's the only time we yeah. played Gilder Sleeves, but there were definitely a lot of clubs that that kind of operated that way. If they didn't have to pay somebody, they wouldn't. I hate um, I hate to break it to you, but it still works that way. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. which you know, which you know, I'm sure. But it, yeah, right. it's. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that might also have been the uh, the same time where we, uh, John Giorno, uh, met up with us and took us over to meet William Burroughs. Holy uh, moly. For the first time. And, and so Burroughs had a loft space in the Bowery. And uh, there's some photos that are, that, um, of, us uh posing with with burroughs and john giorno um you know and we went went on to to, to visit uh bill burroughs a few times in lawrence at his home in kansas uh, but that's the only time that we got together with him in new york a friend of mine used to run a bookstore in uh, lawrence kansas and i guess burroughs would come in and would if i remember correctly he would only buy copies of guns and ammo and cat fancy those are the two magazines that he always would pick up. Yeah. <laughs> he was that, like, that, and he, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, when we when we got over to his house, he's like, oh, well, geez, I guess they don't really have any refreshments to offer you, except, uh, well, I guess there is a little bit of vodka and there's some uh, warm, flat Diet Coke there if you want. <laughs> like, I think we're good. 
<laughs> That's a pass, Bill Burroughs. Thank you, though. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's amazing. I, 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 I love the picture of that. That's uh, he's he seems seemed like quite the character. But let's, uh, I mean, obviously an immense talent as well. But yeah, right. Tell me about if you can. Everything falls apart. I think that's um. It's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a true. It's a true statement. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as I as I get older, I keep going like, man. That sure is right. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any you have any uh, thoughts about recording that record? Uh, yeah, I'm actually love that record. I think um, you know it's our first um, full fledged studio experience. Uh, you know, we recorded that out at Total Access with with uh, with Spot. Uh, I don't know. It was just uh, just a lot of lot of fun to record it. I think there's some you know such great material on it. Uh, I don't know that that record is, I guess, has always held a a dear spot in my heart, probably because it's our you know first full length studio release. Yeah, and it's I mean I think it clocks under twenty too, right? I mean it's it's it gets in and gets out like if there's a there's no. There's no, there's no fat on there at all. It's, it's just all right. lean muscle. Yep. Did the um. Well, and I think that that was that was remastered for the box set, if I remember correctly. I mean, I think they, there was uh, there was there were a few uh, remaster of the original. If I had it in front of me, I could tell you, but I don't. I believe you are correct. <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned you know going around and and just playing, like playing everywhere. All, all around, everywhere, and doing it as the circuit was kind of being created. Like, you know, it was like, you know, DOA, Black Flag, you guys, uh, playing to different kinds of audiences, playing in different kinds of places with a band called Husker Du. Not, there's umlauts in the name. I mean, did you, did you get any, <laughs> like, what, let's put it this way. What was the craziest misinterpretation of the band name, especially in those early days? Or was, or was any of them even remotely entertaining? Uh, well, there was always the, uh, you know, the Husker, Husker do, uh, and, uh, but, um, so there is uh, a story that in Bob's book that he talks about, but it's a gig that actually didn't happen, but if it <laughs> would have happened, the, uh, the promoter didn't, um, so this was, uh, uh, something that the DOA's manager, Ken Lester was trying to set up in, um, a gig in Reno and it would have been DOA and us and probably seven seconds. And I'm not sure who else, uh, we, we did end up playing a show with those guys, but in, in Sacramento at a, at a different club, the Reno show never happened, but the promoter didn't ask Ken Lester to repeat the name of the band or to spell it. <laughs> so initially he thought, the band was called Who Screwed You. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yep. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, I know in, in Bob's book, it, it, uh, he, he said that, you know, um, 
oh yeah and then we we did this gig where they called us who screwed you but it's that was uh actually uh didn't happen but the story about the the guy thinking our name was who screwed you is true so that part is true I mean, I think there's certain things that's, uh, you know, I always call it the Rashomon effect after that Kurosawa movie where people view certain events differently based upon who they are and whatever. And sometimes it just makes a better story, maybe. I don't know. I don't right. Know. <laughs> well, you know, and, and by, you know, Bob's own account, the, a lot of the Husker days, uh, particularly the early ones, are a little bit hazy yeah. for, for Bob. Right, right, right. Uh, and, um, and really the, you know, when uh, Bob's book i think the husker chapter was kind of mostly the uh the michael azarod our band could be your life chapter kind of rehashed yeah so you know and i think it's one of those things where uh somebody told me once it's like oh well you know bob was wouldn't really recall for sure the exact details and then they would make the editorial decision to just go with whatever they thought was the better story never let truth get in the way of a good story (laughs) right exactly (laughs) well i mean and that's and i enjoy that book the our band could be your life book but i mean i've heard various i've had a lot of people on the show and there's been varying shades of uh people's thoughts on it including to all that was outright lies to that was embellishments to like yeah that's pretty close to how it happened so I think he took yeah, it out with a grain of salt. You know, right? obviously, I mean, uh, you know, he wants he wanted to to sell sell books, right? So uh, I yeah. think a lot of it is uh, not necessarily outright lies, but I but I think there there are definitely embellishments, and I think any it seemed to me that the more he could latch on, that might be scandalous. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was so a little bit more tabloid esque. Um, I guess he was ahead of his time with that. Needed to be. (laughs) That's what everyone's doing now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think, and that's a shame because I I think that that's, um, you know, that era of, of, uh, we'll call it independent music, right? There's such a thirst for knowing more about it for the the people that weren't there. I I mean, even me, like that's like a grade level above me. You know, like that all happened and was pretty much on, everyone was on to something else by the time I was, I was involved in it. So I, I have her historical records and then i think the listeners of the show and there are many young listeners too where it's the difference in time is between you know when you guys started and when the beatles were a band or something you know <laughs> where, it's, where it's like right. oh and that's like a different lifetime okay that's what that's hard to grasp sometimes uh yep metal circus that's the one that's got so i played it's not funny anymore and uh, that's got a uh, um uh diane as well. I mean, those, those are both kind of scenes where Grant started to sort of bring in more of the, the, the hooks and, and pop, uh, big time with that. Where, where were you guys at in, in 83 with that pre Zen arcade? Uh, you know, I think that's basically, uh, artistically and and from a writing standpoint you know the um we we kind of showed that we could do the hardcore thing yeah. but you know we were never just a hardcore band um like we were never just a punk band either you know and and, and um so the you know, the hooks and, and, you know, like I said, it's like, you know, I think really, uh, you know, deep down probably we always wanted to be a power pop band. 
Right. <laughs> you know? yeah, so yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that started to come through more and, and, um, um, you know, and plus I, you know, Bob and Grant were also getting better at writing songs and, and, um, Yeah, you know, there, there again, natural, natural steps in the evolution, you know. Totally, and it's it. It was interesting that you know you you guys were almost on this um, exponential growth pattern at that moment in time. Like to think that like you know all this stuff happened in the in the space of a, you know few few short years. It seems like you kind of were quickly digging deeper to do what you do better, and then also trying new things at the same time. Right. A little bit about, uh, you know, so I think, so first of all, I love, 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 love the whole story with uh, Zen Arcade, with, with the Minutemen and, and Double Nickels. I think that's that's <laughs> a perfect example of, like, music community and like, kind of, like, the, the good examples of, like, uh, a playful competitive nature. <laughs> like, oh, you know, they're doing a double album. Uh, you know, we got we to gotta do a double album, too. <laughs> I think that was pretty pretty fantastic. Right. We, we, well, you know what? What? Watt told me was that, that you know that Double Nickels was just going to be a single album, right? Uh, until Cardici told them like, oh well, the Hooskers are doing a double, so that's when that they're like, well, goddamn it, we're going to do a double record too. So they they were like scrambling for um, uh, lyrics and and ideas, and so that you've got a you know it's like uh, Joe Carducci wrote uh, Jesus and Tequila, uh, you know right. it's um, there, there's a bunch of people who contributed lyrics to that record. But this is the thing that Watt told me was that we saved the world from seeing D, D Boone in his birthday suit because the plan for the for the record, when it was just a single, and I can't remember what they were going to call it, but the album cover was going to basically be a naked D Boone. <laughs> wow. That, that would have been, yep. been a bold move for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> well, and that's a, you know, that's that's a perfect example of of as much as the early Husker stuff is, you know, totally kick ass. Like that that was sort of like you guys created your own universe with that record. And uh, I mean, was was there a thought towards like, you know, did, was there a master plan or was it just you know were you guys just firing all cylinders and let's go go go? I mean, what what it's. It's such a wild record in that way. On uh, what, Zen Arcade? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zen Arcade we, was, you know, when we started putting that together and started writing the material and started talking about the record, it's like, you know, the whole thing just kind of fell into place as the, the, the whole story. So we, we were, like, looking at it like we were writing a rock opera, you know? Oh, sure, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there is a there is a, a story thread and arc through that whole record. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that was, that was, that was in, in um, intentional. Yeah. I mean, was it, was it, and was that along the lines of like, well, you know, the who did it to good effect. Why don't we try what we do at that? Uh, you know, it was, it, it was an audacious, I mean, it's an audacious album today, frankly, but I mean, especially at the time I, I I'm, I've, it's, it kicked open a lot of doors in, in that way. Yep. Um, you, you know, it's uh, when we were half 
we were done re, uh, tracking all the basics and um, we haven't started final mix down yet, but we drove uh, up and played in San Francisco. We stayed at uh, with Jello Biafra and we played the record for him. Mm-hmm. And when it all got done, Biafra goes, ah, yes, who's do the band that brought self-indulgence back to rock and roll. <laughs> Oh, Jello! <laughs> uh, I, could, I could totally hear him say that too. That's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a, uh, I mean, there, there's a wide swath of like type of songs there on that record as well. But it also has the immediacy of, like, well, it doesn't sound like you guys were doing a lot of takes. It sounds like you're kind of tearing through everything too. Uh, so it, it's. You know, a lot of like quote unquote, you know, rock operas or concept records maybe like you know have a tendency to be get like overly precious with uh, certain aspects of recording, and there's just not a trace of that anywhere with it. It was any of that in mind for, you know, it's a bold thing to do. Like you, 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 you you're gonna make the record you want to make, but it's a bold thing to do. Was there ever any thought towards overreach in that, in that sort of catty Jello Biafra way that, <laughs> that you mentioned? <laughs> <clears throat> um, you know, not, not really. It, it's, um, you know, there again, it's like, you know, we, we get back to the economy of, of time and, and, um, uh, you know, knowing that, that, uh, we only had so much, so many hours booked in the studio before we had to, uh, go up and play these gigs and then come back. And, and we were, we were going into the studio like at midnight, we had like, we had the studio from like midnight until, eight in the morning or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, the piano, uh, happened to be in the studio. So that's, you know, some of the, the piano interlude stuff just happened like kind of on the spot where it's like, Hey, let's record this and, and, um, you know, work it, work it in somewhere. Um, but yeah, pretty much almost everything is, is, you know, one or two takes live for, for basics. I mean, um, reoccurring dreams that was live straight to two track. Oh Jesus. And that's as, all like, as it happened in the studio, there are like no overdubs on that track at all. That's just how it happened. And, and that's like a 13 and, minute song or something too. I mean, that's sort of like, was there ever a like, ah, don't think about it too hard. Don't fuck this up. <laughs> kind of, kind of thing. Right. Because it was pre-digital. I mean, this is all on tape, right? So it's like you, if you, it was, you'd have to get like inventive with the splicing, I guess. And uh, for something like that, I don't even know if it would work because it's all just like one big mood piece, really. Uh, you know, in, in a like it's almost like a soundtrack in, in that way. Oh, for sure. You know, and and that was a song that that actually we we had been playing live and as um, kind of like as an encore type thing. Yeah. Um, and it it always had sort of kind of an improvisational feel to it um that's oh that that was my dog sir jackson husker doodle barking in the background there. Uh, chiming in on the thoughts so, on that song. what's that chiming in on the thoughts on reoccurring dreams <laughs> yes exactly he's like well this is what i think <laughs> didn't go down like that at all <laughs> <clears throat> right but um no just how it it uh that track turned out and how you know spotlets like the whole thing kind of just rang and, and then when he just kills it uh 
and and cuts it off at the end it was like we were like oh that's that's perfect it's like we don't yeah. need to do anything with that and spots like that's good because i put it live to two track when <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you wouldn't be able to yeah <laughs> yeah well it's a bold ending you know for for a bold record so it's uh it's sort of yeah. like, like I, I've definitely referenced that as the like, well, how are we in this? And it's like, well, you can do the reoccurring dreams. Uh, like I've mentioned, <laughs> I've mentioned that before. <laughs> so, yeah. so Huskers have entered a recording shorthand uh, in, in more than a couple ways. I, I wanted, you know, I realize we, we've gone all this time uh, not talking about Porcupine. I wanted to talk about that uh, Porcupine doing a, a cover of Standing by the Sea, which I thought was really cool. And, and how that came to pass. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, three years ago, uh, I guess we're actually coming up on four years now. Uh, <clears throat> Lori Barbero uh, yes. called up and, and said like, Hey, uh, Grant's got this gig at the hook and ladder on July 1st. And, uh, you know, I want to, I want to surprise them. I want to get together like, um, friends and peers to come in and, and actually kind of do like a tribute to Grant and play his music. And Grant doesn't know anything about this. Nice. And so, um, so she, she called and she asked if uh, porcupine would be interested in it. And I'm like, yeah, Oh, for sure. Uh, so we did, um, uh, let's see. We started off with what do I want? Nice. Uh, which was, uh, uh, a grant cut off the, um, uh, in a free land single. And then, uh, let's see, what else did we play? We played, um, dead set on destruction. It's not funny anymore. Um, standing by the sea. Seems to me like that were we played five songs. Now I can't think what the fifth one is. But anyway, uh, you know, it was just a lot of fun to to learn those songs and, and play them. And uh, after we had done that that um, that tribute, we uh, Casey and Ian were like, "Hey, you know, actually, standing by the sea is that's like that's a really fun song to play. Like, let's sure, yeah." But would you like to keep it in the set? And I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be awesome. So we we kept it in the set, and uh, uh, and then when it you know then Grant passed away that September, uh, and when we went into record, uh, but for um, what you've heard isn't real. Uh, we you know the, the everybody was like, well that's that's record standing by the sea too so yeah. um i think it the, the porcupine version totally rocks it uh, you know it, uh, i think grant would have been very happy with with it yeah i mean i agree it's, it's something where it's it's you know there's something to be said for like you know like how when can you call it a cover if it's someone that was in the band right but like i think it, it's a version that's super like it's cool like it, it gives homage to the original without being like totally slavish at the same time like it has its own vibe and its own sound i mean based upon the fact that it's different people playing it 
Uh, right. You know, it's not like New Day Rising by Robert Palmer, of course, but like. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, very, very few things rise to that standard. So. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, it's a high standard, let's yeah. be clear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Although, uh, you know, it's Bilbo Baggins by Leonard Nimoy. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what a yeah what a what a wild moment in history that was they were just <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> they were like yep. yeah yeah sure that's what you want to do all right let's go let's go let's get high as hell and do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah good time <laughs> uh okay so let's talk let's talk about new day rising okay i think new day rising well, it, it, you know, it, it, for me, it's, it's like asking me on a different day, like which one would be the the favorite uh, of for what the Husker Records did. But I think that is maybe a little underrated in the Pantheon. I don't know. Like that, that's 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 my take on it. Where was where was the band at? Where were you at when you when you're doing when you're doing that record? I mean, obviously, there's we've talked about the title track more than anything else on this on this show so far. But there's there's a bunch of like you know books about UFOs. There's a bunch of like great great tunes in there and it, it kind of seemed like with zen arcade you know when you when you make something that audacious there's sort of like a well hell what do we do now uh mindset that could maybe come at someone and it didn't feel like that at all with new day rising uh you know it's so we were a band that was always touring the record that we were about to record <laughs> sure. instead of touring the record that we just released <laughs> So, um, audiences you know, love that. So, so yeah. once, once, you know, Zen Arcade came out, we were already playing New Day Rising. Um, you know, it's it's just that that evolution. Uh, New Day Rising was the first record that that uh, was recorded in Minneapolis uh, at uh, the Nicollet Studios with and. Um, and and also it ended up being the last record that that Spot um, helped produce. Uh, I think Bob and Grant took a little bit more lead on the production side there. Yeah. Uh, and I know a lot of people kind of bitch and moan about the the production sound, the, the 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 sound quality of the recording, and they blame it on Spot, but I don't think it, that's deserved. Uh, you know, it's it's. There's a lot of high end on that record. There's not a lot of low end, and and definitely, you know, that's that's something that that would benefit from remastering at some point, um, like like all the the Husker records. But, um, yeah. But as far as the material goes, it's like I think they're that all sorts of classics on that. Girl who lives on Heaven Hill. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, I apologize. Uh, folklore, celebrated summer, celebrated summer, yeah, uh, yeah. Powerline, books about UFOs. Uh, you know, it's uh, just so many great tunes. Um, Fifty nine times the pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, which probably that now there, there's a deep cut, but that, that is a deep uh, cut. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it's uh, and there again, I, I think, I think probably, you know, by the end of the year when we get into the studio and record "Flip Your Wig," you know, Bob and Grant there again just have had grown and had learned from the the, the production experience with New Day Rising and 
flip your wig ends up sounding better, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And we also recorded. So at, at Nicollet studios, there was a small studio B and a big and large studio studio a and new day rising was recorded in the small studio and flip your wigs was recorded in the big studio. I don't know how much difference that makes, but, um, I don't know. Like, like I said, it's, um, the band kept growing and kept getting better at what they were doing. So, did you ever hear the speaking of celebrated summer, the the Anthrax version of of, of that song? Did you ever hear that? I think it was Anthrax. I don't know, wasn't but, it? but uh, I I don't think I've heard Anthrax's version of that. Oh, okay. Uh, and now their version of the Joe Jackson classic "Got the Time." <laughs> Is one of my favorites, but uh, I'll have to look up "Celebrated Summer." Yeah, yeah. They, if ever, I, I might be, and this, this could be, you know, me remembering wrong. But I remember them doing like a version of "Celebrated Summer" that sounds like Anthrax doing a version of "Celebrated Summer." <laughs> oh, I can believe that. Yeah. yeah. So I knew that um, our the um, the drummer in Anthrax uh, was in a Husker tribute band out in L.A. for a while. Oh well, and I, I don't know if they're still around or still together, but um, but yeah, I, I I met the guy who was played bass for them, and he was like, oh yeah, well it's like the drummer from Anthrax. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's cool. Again, in weird ways, like the Husker influence comes out in weird ways sometimes, right? Yeah, you know that actually reminds me. Wasn't there that uh, that that Husker? Uh, I don't know if it's a one-off, but that Husker tribute band in Chicago. Uh, oh, the Husker dudes. Yeah, yes, the Husker dudes. That's great. How could I forget that? Jesus. <laughs> yeah. No, those those guys are great. Uh, they haven't they haven't um, played together in quite some time, but um, I actually um, went down there. Uh, they they played a gig uh, that happened to fall on on one of my birthdays, and and uh, uh, so basically drove down and like showed up at the gig and was like, Hey, oh, what's wow. up? <laughs> so of course, uh, uh, my, my plan was just, just to show up and surprise him. But, uh, Toby, my, my wife actually gave him a heads up that we were coming. Yeah. Uh, but, but they're super nice guys. Um, love them a lot. Uh, they actually came up and played, um, uh, a gig in, in, uh, St. Paul at the turf club. Oh, the a couple turf years club. Yeah. After that. And, um, yeah, they haven't done anything together in a while, but um, I thought they they really did a great job. Was that wild? Like just seeing like you know these these songs and and these guys playing it. And obviously, it's not going to be exactly the same, but it, it, that's got to be a bizarre experience, a unique experience. Uh, yeah, it definitely was a, a a unique experience, and they they actually were playing stuff. I was like damn we never played that live <laughs> <laughs> pulling in the deep yeah. cuts <laughs> yeah that's a, that, that's got to be a yeah that's got to be a surreal experience but in a good way i mean and that's another example of like you know that, that the band you know brought so much joy to people that like and it's become more common now i think to have like oh it's halloween we're gonna do you know so and so is gonna be the wipers so and so is gonna be you know this that band. Oh, okay cool whatever um but when it's done with a level of dedication and love. I think it's something pretty special. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And yeah. I, I don't know those guys, but I, I, I think they're like, you know, whatever, one degree away. And like when that happened, uh, it was before I lived in Milwaukee. It was, I was still living in Oakland, but I was like, wow, that's really cool. I just I was like, that's really, 
That's a good idea. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, okay, well, so, so, okay, so we haven't talked about Candy Apple Gray, which I, I played a couple uh, uh, tunes off that one. Warner Brothers. Yep. How was that? Uh, you know, Warner's actually was, um, it was good. And, and, you know, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, <laughs> we did wait uh, to um, sign to a, to a major. Uh, you know, we started getting major labels looking at us uh, right around the time the Zen Arcade came out. And uh, Warner's was the uh, the most we felt the most sincere, and when they told us that they would let us do what we were doing because they thought we what we were doing was good was great, you know we we had we're a hardworking band developed our own fan base and they didn't want to mess uh, with with the formula you know they yeah. we weren't a band that they needed to develop so. Um, we, uh, you know, signing to Warner's was really good. Um, of course there's, there's uh, always the debate, well, should have, you know, flip your wig been the first Warner's release, uh, instead of the last SST release, but it, you know, that's, um, uh, exactly to the timing of that. I'm, you know, not exactly sure what to say there but uh yeah candy apple gray was kind of a a darker moment (laughs) a darker album um after flip your wig and a lot of people were like wow for a major label debut that that was kind of a (laughs) what what were you guys doing but, (laughs) but Uh, but actually, you know, it's, it's also one of those things, like we signed to Warners and, and people that had followed us for, for a really long time were like, why did you guys sign to a major label? You're, you're now you're sellouts. And it's like, uh, yeah, give me a break. We're, we're the, the same band, you know, it's like now we, you know, um, we just, we just have more resources behind us. But of course the reality is, is that you have less time as well because, um, the bigger you get, the more demand there is. People need things that people need. Yeah. You, know, you need to get up in the middle of the night to do an interview with somebody in Australia. You need to, um, you know, it's uh, you, you, your your free time is is suddenly less and less and less because you've got more and more to do. You spend to, all your time running the ship. Yeah. Right. Well, and, it's, yeah, and also once we got to Warner's, that's, you know, um, the band had been, we, you know, we managed ourselves. We were self-managed. We, you know, we, um, we were working with, um, with a booking agent, uh, before that. But once you get to Warner's, like you have to have management, you have to have a booking agent, you know, it's like, um, major labels don't like to necessarily deal with artists directly because a lot of times they think artists are flaky and don't know what they really want. So let me talk to the manager, you know? So I guess, uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. Cause the artists yeah. are just a bunch of idiots anyway. Right. They couldn't possibly know anything about anything. Right. So, well, and, and there again, it's, 
So on, on one hand, it was, uh, you've got more demand on your time. You have, um, but on the flip side of that, you actually have more time though, because all the stuff that you were always doing is now being done by somebody else. Right. And, and <laughs> so now you're kind of going like, well, what the hell am I doing? So, uh, it's, I don't know. It's, uh, a weird dichotomy, a weird, uh, um, you know, less is more, more is less. I don't know what I'm talking about now. So Yeah, well, there's, there, you know, that one's got, there's a bunch of acoustic guitar on that one. But then it's also got Don't Want to Know If You're Lonely, which is one of my favorite Grand Hart songs. I mean, that's like, you know, a ripper by anybody's estimation, no matter what era or record it was on. Like, that song's yep. great. <laughs> you know? Well, um, Dead set on destruction, I think is yep. uh, another, another really great Grant song. And uh, uh, um, sorry, somehow, yeah. Or sorry. was that on Flip Your Wig? No, that was on. That's on Candy Apple Gray. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and it's it, it it didn't sound. I mean, it it is a darker sounding record, which is interesting because it isn't like Flip Your Wig is like sunshine and light necessarily, uh, but it's. Um, it's also like of that. Well, I don't time, know the wit and the wisdom that that always cheers me up. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> the um, the at the time period though, it's easy to forget for people that only have been in the like the digital era where everything is available immediately, always at like the push of a few buttons. But you know, just getting things in the hands in people's hands, you know, like the distribution aspect of things and 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 the reaching beyond like the people that already know and love you and things along those lines. Like it, it seemed like, and also and I was, I was speaking to someone on the show about this and I can't remember who it was, but just the idea of like the sellout argument, which nobody even knows what anybody's talking about when we talk about that now, like nobody, oh, for sure. <laughs> like it's like, it's like, what? Like why? Huh? Sellout. What do you mean? <laughs> like, it's just, it's just, that's gone from like the lexicon of, of conversation. Uh, right. But it, but it was a big deal. Like it was something that like that was there was a you know many heated columns and zines uh, <laughs> written about it and and uh, hot takes uh, right pre social media. Well, you know it, it's um, uh, it's like okay, so as an artist, uh, you know I want to continue to develop and grow and and have my art reach more people, right? Uh, and then, but then from the fan standpoint, they're like, well, now too many people know about you. So I don't know if you're that cool <laughs> yeah, anymore. Yeah, now it sucks. Now I don't like it anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and you're like, um, what? <laughs> so, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's infuriating. You know, or, or actually, ultimately, what happens is that as the band evolves, like Husker did, and, and you'll, you know, I mean, you, you can find plenty of people that, you know, just go on Facebook and say like, and speed record is the greatest Husker album ever recorded. Fight me, you know, right. and just watch <laughs> the comments come through or, or any record. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is that you will always have these fans that are like at a certain point was the pinnacle for them. And that's where they want to keep you. And if you move, once you start moving beyond that point, then I don't know if you're selling out or, or what, but you know, at that point, then they're like, wow, you, you guys just aren't as good as you used to be, but isn't 
that the ultimate punk rock thing though <laughs> to just keep evolving and it's right. like okay well um you know i mean do what you want to do right be who you want to be well yeah and, and no one could accuse you guys of of not doing that i mean like you always followed your own your own compass and that's why it you know must have been it must have been a little jarring on some level to have management when you've you guys have done a fantastic job, you know, managing on your own uh, up to that point. You know, yep. it's, it's like it's it's a trade off. It's almost like a Faustian bargain in, in a certain way. It, but um, I'm thinking back to you now around that around that time. That's that's about when the Pixies first started to kick around. And I heard a story that there was a uh, that like one of the ads, they. They put uh, for before they got Kim Deal. They put an ad saying like bass influenced by, you know, something or other and Husker Du or something along those lines. Like they were that uh, right. It was uh, looking for a bass player uh, into Peter Paul and Mary and Husker Du. <laughs> Peter Paul and Mary. And and um, uh, so and and so this is one of those things that I don't know if this is like a complete myth or not or if this actually ever really happened, but supposedly uh somebody said to frank black it's like well you know greg greg norton's available and he's like no i want somebody that was that's into husker du not somebody who was in husker du whoa <laughs> <laughs> so but like i got i don't know if that's true or not but it's it's one of those things like where you hear the story and you laugh and Damn. Like, huh. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like, do you okay. want it to be true but, or not? Well, I mean, either way, yeah. I like Peter Paul and Mary, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can so. play that stuff, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap. That, that would be a wow. Talk about like a, like a, you know, alternate universe kind of thing. That would have been a, that would have been a very different scenario uh, for sure for those guys yeah. as much as anything. Um, but then again, you got to think about the fact that, like, you know, they also. Post Kim Deal on the on the comeback, they they kicked Kim Shattuck out of the band basically for being too boisterous of a personality. Like she played like one show and like I think she like, stage dived or something and they and they canned her. So it's like, all right, guys. I don't yeah. know. Not, not, so, so there goes the Pixies. Any any of them ever coming on the show except for Kim Deal apparently? But I don't right. know. I, I think that tells you a lot about those those guys to a certain degree. Right. <laughs> well, I I actually uh, have only seen the Pixies play once it was at the uh the uh down in chicago and the reason i saw him was uh my friends the bad plus uh the jazz trio opened for him oh wow okay uh, so and this was on uh, one of their first comeback tours and um you know saw the show thought it was really good you know i'd listened to all their records and liked the records a lot and then after the show somebody was uh like well so uh, oh first time seeing the pixies what'd you think and i'm like yeah they're a really great studio band <laughs> you know what man that was exactly my thoughts as well <laughs> yeah i was like oh those records are really good that was okay yeah <laughs> yeah but but live i mean <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> well, and the, th so. the thought also occurred to me. It was like, if Kim Deal wasn't here, I don't think I would care. And then, you know, like whatever, a little further down the line, uh, you know, squeezing money out of the uh, <laughs> of the thing, they they Kim's like, I, I think I've had enough. I'm like, all right, so have I. <laughs> not not interested. 
Um, yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only person that feels that way, by the way, because like I feel like it's mean to feel that way, but I just it wasn't a very compelling show. It was fine. That's fine, you know. Right. No, and and I'm I, I still love the Pixies. I love yeah, listening great. to those records. <laughs> Uh, but I, you know, after seeing one of their shows, I'm like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. You never need to see him again. It's like, I saw that. Yep. (laughs) Yep. I just put the record on and just put a photo of them playing live, like up on the TV and it'd be like the same experience. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. (laughs) That's, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. (laughs) Okay, let's let's. I, I, we've gone through all the rest of them. I, I guess we should uh, talk about warehouse songs and stories, also. Okay. Uh, so yeah, warehouse, another uh, double LP, which um, and there again, I mean, you know, definitely a lot of people are like, it would have made a really great single album. Um, they say most but, people say that about any double album, though. You know, well, that's that's true, <laughs> but you know, it, it's funny because. You know, you know, you fast forward, you know, a decade later and CDs are out and everybody is like, oh, what, your CD, like you just put out a CD and it's only 45 minutes long. Like, <laughs> what are you, lazy? Yeah. You know, it's like, you got 40 more minutes uh, of music you can throw on there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I, there again, I think there, there are a lot of great classic tunes on there, you know, these important years and. Um, ice it, cold it ice is That's such a, a standout, uh, but you know, in in a way, you know, I I had just basically kind of gotten back into writing, uh, and and um, yeah, and, and, and you know, I was okay with being the the third best songwriter in the band. I was totally fine with that, <laughs> uh, but um, uh, you know, it, it as you know, putting a lot of effort into it and then, um, you know, have, it's like, oh, um, yeah, okay, yeah, oh, you got a song. Uh, it, it, it reminds me of, of uh, reading an interview with George Harrison where he's like, you know, you know, there was, there was John and Paul, and granted, they were, you know, Lennon and McCartney, they were the main songwriters, but he's like, I put a lot of effort into my guitar, Gently Weeps. I thought it was a really great fucking song and they, basically gave it like one or two takes you know so on one standpoint it's like i can totally relate to that it's like okay i'm i know i'm not the primary songwriter but uh you know in a sense i guess the um the bob bob and grant had already kind of started the uh, um the breakup so to so to say you know between and material wise and and um stuff so i don't know it's it's a good record uh of course you know obviously when we were recording it you know i didn't i didn't know that the band you know nobody knew that the band was going to be done for within within a a year or so um i don't know i I don't i don't know if i want to could go on too much more. No, about, no, 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 no. You, you, know, you so. don't need to. But I think there's some cool stuff yeah. in that. Like I said, I, I mentioned Ice Cold Ice, and I think that like, and that always, you know, I think it's a great song because it kind of it's got that, um, you know, it's got that back and forth. Like, uh, uh, it makes no sense at all. And then like, I, I like it because have like the fade out, 
and then it just hits with that last chord. Like it's a bratty thing to do, but I, I, I love it. Yeah. I think I think I think that's well, really we, cool. we were convinced that was going to be the song of the summer. I get rips. Why wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Well, uh, playing that on commercial radio back in 1987. <laughs> yeah, a little too early, I guess. I don't know. Like, yeah. I guess, uh, yeah. Well, 91 would would have been like when that kind of those those doors opened for a brief moment, right? Yeah. Could you um, wild left field turn? But I feel disingenuous if I didn't ask after it. Uh, you were running that restaurant in Red Wing for a while was was that a was that a good experience for you i mean i i, I my understanding is you're not doing that anymore but right uh you know actually yeah i i got into uh back into working in restaurants after the band broke up and and um you know a couple of years after after uh the band was done i i met uh Lenny Russo, who is, is uh, one of my best friends, and, and uh, he's actually one of the, the chefs in, in the U.S. I mean, the guy's been nominated for James Beard Awards um, numerous times. Uh, and uh, I was working in a restaurant uh, where he was the chef, and um, he kind of talked me into the back of the house. And I just started learning how to cook and and really kind of took to it so um i, I kind of owe that path in my life to to lenny uh I, I really enjoyed you know working you know doing the restaurant thing um i, I don't miss it i don't miss the uh the hours or or the uh yeah um the physical demand of the job but you know you, you miss you, customers you miss regulars you miss you know camaraderie and things like that but uh, yeah i really enjoyed uh that part of my life but but i did go while i was you know becoming a chef and learning how to be, be a chef i went 14 years without picking up a base so wow yeah <laughs> wow yeah, there's there's some good uh, some folks saying uh, uh, Patrick Carver, a friend of the show, saying they used to take his dad to go eat at the restaurant all the time, and he really loved it. It was a great experience for them. Okay, um, well, that's good to hear. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say. Well, and it's it's that's a move. Uh, I, I, there's a few people like Mario Lolly did it from uh, um, uh, 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 Fatso Jetson, and um, I can't think of. His, Yawning Man? Yeah. Is he Yawning Man? I think so. Uh, the, anyway, he's got a really good restaurant, but it's, it's uh, running a restaurant's hard. I mean, I guess, oh, for sure. I guess I don't need to tell you about it, but it's, it's, yeah. it's running a restaurant's very difficult. Right. And, and you're working on like, you know, razor thin margins and, and, uh, people see like, oh, the place is busy. You just must be like making tons of money. It's like, <laughs> mm, no. <laughs> oh yeah. We're <laughs> minting really. back here. Yeah. I'm working a lot. Yep. <laughs> I'm glad everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I'm enjoying the work. That's 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 yeah. the way you, you you can put that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So and and then, so you and you had you weren't really playing bass for a long period of time, and then uh, you 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 took up. I think you you were playing with an instrumental group for for a bit, right? Uh, somewhat. Right. So Gang Font, which was uh, a band. So I mentioned the the Bad Plus earlier. So Dave King is the drummer in the Bad Plus. And uh, when I first met him, uh, 
it was uh, at, at a show. I, I just wanted to introduce myself to them because I they had just put a record out on Sony um, and did an interview in um, the local um, paper here in Minneapolis where they, they mentioned that Husker du was one of their influences. Oh. And um, and I had heard the record and I liked it a lot. But, and that was the record where they, they covered um, uh, or, or did a jazz version of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I totally remember <laughs> right. that. Right. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I, I, I met Dave for the first time and he's like, Hey, you know, I've got like this crazy idea for this, this band. And I think you would be the perfect bass player for it. And it, from him saying that it literally took two years before we actually ever got together <laughs> to play music. But once we did, it came together really quick. Uh, we recorded and released a record and this was, so we recorded in 2006 and released the record in 07, I believe. Um, did a few shows, played a uh, show at the Knitting Factory in New York where there were like 23 people paid. And then later everybody said like, oh, well, they had the time wrong in the newspaper and that's why we didn't show up. It's like, uh, whatever. Okay. Welcome yeah. back to New York. <laughs> yeah, exactly. awesome. So, um, but anyway, th then uh, we actually have a second record recorded that we recorded uh, 10 years ago. Oh, uh, really? Actually, no, 11 years ago. And uh, eventually, hopefully, we'll find somebody that, that wants to, to release that and put that out. But but uh, I've been saying that we've been aging it like a fine wine. <laughs> and it, at this point, it's it's uh, definitely a Grand Reserva. <laughs> so it's, uh, and I think, I think it's almost ready for consumption. So... Yeah, well, we'll see. You know, it's one of those things where I had to keep it under wraps because the world wasn't quite ready for it. Yet. Yeah, exactly, but, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, there, there's people that run record labels that listen to this show, so maybe they can uh, get their wine openers ready. Get down, get down <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know how much you you want to speak on it, but I I do like Porcupine um, quite a bit, and I was I was interested in what the future of that is, I mean, you mentioned privately that there might not be that much of a future. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's, it, it's funny how things kind of worked out with the pandemic. It's, um, God, that's the first time we've talked about it, huh? Jesus. Oh, oh yeah. Hey, <laughs> did you realize that there was a pandemic going on? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I noticed. That's I mean, good. I, I like to sit, you know, I'm kind of a homebody, so it's, I didn't really notice, but, uh, <laughs> No, seriously. Um, you know, I, I had been in wine sales uh, for about a decade. And um, uh, December of 2018, 20, no, 2019, I uh, got a job. I work at a flour mill now. I, I, I work uh, um, a job that actually I, I, I'm surprised by how much I like it. But uh, um So being gainfully employed uh, through the pandemic has been kind of a, a blessing for sure. Uh, but Porcupine, we played our last show at the Big Turn Music Fest in Red Wing of um, uh, February in of, of 2020. Oh, man. And, right before it all went down. Inter okay, and, wow. Right. And then, you know, basically three weeks later everything 
got shut down. Uh, we had planned on taking a break, uh, not really sure what the future held for Porcupine. And I think that's basically where we're still at. So, you know, in, in a way, you know, we, you know, it's not like we had to cancel any shows or anything like that. Yeah. And, um, so I guess as far as the pandemic goes, I, I actually kind of lucked out, you know, I ended up with a good job and, and, um, didn't have to worry about canceling any gigs, but, um, yeah. So I'm not really sure where, you know, what, what, what's going to be in, in my future as far as like, uh, music goes right now, but, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, got, um, you know, it's like this new Husker project uh, going on. I think it sounds rad. that yeah. record is actually, I think it sounds really great and I think it would, is going to do well. And, and I'm planning on uh, making uh, the cover art for this be the, the t-shirt design that re, that replaces all of those Ramones t-shirts out there. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. <laughs> well, you know, everybody's got a Ramones t-shirt. They don't sure. even know what the fuck a Ramon is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I got this t-shirt at Target. I just yeah. like the looks of it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so there's so many uh, you know, what homage parody like whatever versions of it too that it's, it's uh I don't know. It's it's iconic, but it's also been diluted in in its way. And I say that as, you know, them being one of my favorite bands too, you know, like whatever. It's 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 a fashion accessory now, sure. Okay, fine. <laughs> Why yeah. not? There's there's worse things to be into. Uh, what uh, one? So uh, the SST records. Any chances of of those being reissued? Uh, well, that's an open-ended question for sure. Um, yeah, sorry, it's a tough one. Yeah, you know, and and right, and you know, I'm probably one. Um, I'm not going to comment. Um, okay. Fair just, enough. Fair enough. Don't 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 get uh, yourself just in trouble. I don't want anybody in Texas to misinterpret any of my words. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's. I will put it this way. There, there's, there's certainly an interest out there, and I think, I think you probably oh, know that. But <laughs> oh, I know that. For okay. Sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right yeah. on. Right on. I just wanted to. Yeah. Wanted, wanted to. One. I, I feel like. I just feel like it'd be disingenuous for me not to say it. Is, 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 right on. Basically mm-hmm. why. Um, man, this is this, uh, Greg, this has been, this has been so great. Thanks so much for doing it. Uh, it's been great spending so much time with you. Thank you for being, uh, so open and cool and, and telling all these awesome stories. I only have one can question I ever ask people and I ask at the end, you can choose sure. to interpret it however you like, however you want to interpret okay. it, you can. Why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? Well, you know, sometimes I wonder uh, what the hell am I doing? But uh, mostly I do what I do because it brings me joy, you know, and, and I want to keep doing things that bring me joy. Uh, right now, my family brings me immense joy. Um, my dogs bring me joy. My, my job brings me joy. Eventually, yeah, I'm sure I'll get back up on a stage. That will bring me joy as well. But, you know, um yeah, and I, actually, with Who's Do, we always said like, you know, like how, how you know people would go like, well, how long are you gonna do this for? And the answer was always until it's not fun anymore. And um, anything, it's like if it's not 
bringing you joy, if it's not making you happy, then maybe you should look at doing something different. <laughs> it's, it sounds so easy when you say it like that, but <laughs> it's yeah, right. There you go. Greg Norton, thank yeah, you so there much. There you go. Man. Take two Prozac and then call me in the morning. Right. <laughs> Greg, thank you so much, man. This has been a this has been a pleasure. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. Yeah, Connor, thanks. It, it's been an awesome uh, conversation. I really appreciate it. Take care, man. Yep. Cheers. There he goes. Greg Norton. What a cool guy. What a cool guy. What's this nice cold ice?
for it. Something I learned today by, by the Husker Dudes. <laughs> what a great cover band name. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, before that, Ice Cold Ice, as evidenced by me uh, talking about the Ice Cold Ice thing. I may have actually talked about that recently, too. We'll see. Can you hear me now? Hey, that was great. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, that was Mr. Greg Norton. Screw you! What a what a cool guy! Uh, I'd like to thank him for spending so much time with me and uh, and all of us. Hope you enjoyed that. As for me, the name of this show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal, baby. The show airs live, Radio Nope, RadioNope.com, Thursdays 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5. Pacific. Archives, protonicreversal.com, everything. Archived, always. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. This is my farewell if you like the show and want to support it and or get episodes of the show sooner, Patreon.com slash Reversal. One dollar a month will get you there. Anyone within the sound of my voice. 
Instagram, Protonic.Reversal. Facebook, Protonic Reversal Show. Twitter is still just me, Conor Neutron. I've got... 50,000 watts of power. If you're on YouTube, the show has a YouTube page. Sometimes there's video. Subscribe to it. If that's a thing that interests you. If not, don't worry about it. Creeping up on episode 50. It's 50. 250. <laughs> Oh, Hugo Burnham, Gang of Four, next week. Stay tuned. Turns sound into electricity. And stay safe out there. Can you hear me now? Most importantly. Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. Take it easy. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the, it's the end of radio. The last announcer plays the last record. The last what? Leaves the transmitter. Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now?
really broadcasting if there's no one there to receive? Got my radio. Can you hear me now? See?